behind Q. He's working for the president, he's working for our country. Alien Welcome, listeners, to the 18th chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the Hocking Turd, Rocking Curd, Mockingbird Media episode. I'm your host, Jake Rokotansky. And I'm your co-host, Travis View. Last but not least, I'm your third and final ho-ho holiday host, Julian Field. QAnon News. So uh, yeah, so so the big event this week was probably the uh, the badge gate or yeah or patch gate. Oh and right. Yeah. So, so uh, Vice President Pence tweets and then deletes an image of a police officer wearing a QAnon badge. So this was first reported by a friend of the show Jared Holt on November thirtieth. Pence's official government office of Vice President Twitter account at VP tweeted three images of uh, Pence with members of the Boward, Florida Sheriff's Office SWAT team. Uh, an officer on one of these photos, Sergeant Patton, it was wearing a red QAnon patch that features a big Q in the text, question the narrative. The, the tweet was quickly deleted and replaced with a tweet that didn't include the photo. Now, the, the QAnon community loved this. They were they were stoked about oh, it. Oh, of course. They were they were going bananas. But Q didn't delete his post. You're talking about Mike Pence, right? Yes, Mike Yes, Mike Pence deleted yeah. the original tweet. <laughs> Can't see and, why. And then and then and then uh, replaced it with a, with a tweet that didn't include that image. But I thought there was a law where you have to archive it automatically because it's part of the VP account. Does he get to now archive the redacted one? Are we in 1980 fucking four? Yeah. And what happened to this this great patriot who you know got the Q symbol all the way you know all the way in front of the vice president? You know, got the media talking about it. Surely he was rewarded in some way, right? <laughs> Jake, I have some terrible news. <laughs> no, um, uh, Patton was found to have violated the department's uniform code and displayed conduct unbecoming an employee according to the official reprimand signed by Patton. He was removed from the BSO Strategic Investigation Division's Office of Homeland Security and the agency's SWAT team and reassigned to the Department of Law Enforcement. So we got to uh, you know, you got demoted, basically. Not good. Oh, man, that's too bad for that guy. But one thing that I noticed, the disciplining that the soldier received, but also uh, the fact that they cropped the photo and, and did that. And then Q goes online and he's like, it's spreading. Like, this is awesome. Like, this is a positive for Q, right? Yeah. So what is the net effect here? You're, the government that's supposed to be on your side has disavowed you. Um, the guy got fucking disciplined and sanctioned. He's, he's one of the, the followers. So it's spreading. People are doing dumb things and, get, and getting disciplined for it. Yeah. By the people who are supposed to be part of the, the cool anti-deep state task force. I don't get it. Yeah. Language is important in all, in all things Q. Absolutely. Um, speaking of which, huge, huge oh breaking oh news. Oh boy, what's happening? Did Travis. Did, wait, all the marbles, yeah. all the well, marbles, Jake, don't back out of this, bitch. Well, this is so disappointing. <laughs> yeah. It seems that possibly D5 has been delayed. Oh! <laughs> and and the funny thing was is he kind of tweet he tweeted like um it it looked like a a page from like the Excel spreadsheet of like the go, you know the government sort of like schedule for that week. Possibly D5 was delayed because the Huber testimony that uh, the QAnon community was so uh, excited about about the Clinton Foundation that was scheduled for December yeah. 5th tomorrow mm -hmm. has been rescheduled possibly on account of the death of George H.W. Bush and uh, this was very very disappointing. Yes, and yeah. and Q even said, "Well played, D's." Yeah, well, well played, DS or Deep State. Yeah, well played, Deep State, which is like, mm. oh, you know, interesting. I should have known Deep State. I, yeah. For some reason, I thought Democrats. Like, well played, yeah. D's, which made it even, oh. which made it sound like really lame, like even more lame. But yeah, it's like 
So are you suggesting that they that they that they told George Bush to like take the take the death the suicide oh, yeah. pill yeah. and then they had it all planned yeah. out to, to block this? They couldn't allow this to see the light of day. That's right. Other people said that actually George H W Bush died a few weeks ago and they only yeah. announced it now in order to delay D five. I mean, my theory Damn, based that's on, actually interesting based on photos and all accounts of his interactions. I think he died five or six years ago. <laughs> in fact. Yeah, they've been they've just been pushing a uh, like um, fucking weekend at Bernie's, yeah, just dressing corpse year, up, and it's a six year it's a six year long weekend at Bernie's, and at the end of it, they actually used uh, that giant sling, slingshot from uh, Hook, and they launched poor G H W Bush into the sky. He smashed into the sun, exploded into a million pieces, rained angels down onto the earth, and then was reborn as a giant phoenix. Exactly. Sprinkling Nazi money on Confu- oh. <laughs> Jake uh, just knocked over a mic trying to. I got too excited to mime sprinkling Nazi money on it. Sorry, I, I got too excited. I'm I gonna, don't understand. I'm gonna go home. I think uh, we can move on from D5, which is another uh, disaster for the community. And I think we can admit, Jake, all the marbles, you've lost them. Well, well, I mean, hold on here, hold on here. You've lost all we, your marbles. We, we gotta wait. And the, see. Yeah, the nope. Huber, the or the Huber, until what tomorrow? The Huber testimony will still happen at some okay. point. We don't know when, but uh, that I'm going to say that actually now is for all the marbles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Guys, um, what are the odds though that George H. W. Bush dies and his funeral is planned for the exact mm. same day? That this guy is supposed to blow the lid, so to speak, off of the Clinton Foundation. I mean, we're supposed to believe that two different presidents' that is names quite, were George Bush. That is quite a coincidence. So, for the next part, having now watched Jake walk through the fields of pain huh? and sorrow and just disappointment that that are um, his life as a QAnon believer. Uh, we're now going to launch into what QAnon believes and what Jake believes. What are you and, talking and about? You can send this to his mom in a letter. Wait, no, come on. You can you can post this online under his fo- real photo. I don't. You wait. can you can put it on his uh, tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, can you imagine just the, like when I die of some horrible some disease. Fucker. When I die of like some horrible <laughs> disease later on, that it's just like all sorts of like random QAnon hashtags. No, no, no. no. Like, I'm, I'm gonna have an, a, a giant tombstone engraved with every single Q post <laughs> ever. That would be fucking tight. Um, so this is the intro to QAnon version of the Mockingbird Media. So this is what QAnon people think. So, so Operation Mockingbird was an alleged large-scale project undertaken by the CIA beginning in the 1950s in which they recruited American journalists into a propaganda network. The recruited journalists were put on a payroll by the CIA and instructed to write fake stories that promoted the views of the intelligence agency. This effectively put the MSM under CIA control. This operation is still in effect today. In fact, QAnon people believe that every morning at 4 a.m., members of the mainstream media receive the day's talking points of fake news. <laughs> so uh, naturally, and without asking us, Jake has provided some examples of uh, how, how these mainstream media people just repeat the same story over and over again. Uh, so here I've got a couple pictures that I, that I found um, 
that I found online of uh, somebody had taken a screen grab of uh, certain news as- different news outlets reporting on the same same event, and I'll just read you some of the headlines. Uh, this one's from the Washington Post. Quote: Comey sought more money for FBI's Russia probe days before he was. And then the second link is from the L.A. Times. Comey sought more resources for Russia investigation before he was. Dot dot dot. Next link. Uh, this is from Reuters. Comey had pu- had pushed for more resources for Russia Pro before being... So, so wait, so they're just noticing the fact that there's a piece of news and there's a, a kind of a better way to write the lead and then people are kind of copying each other's headlines? There's a relevant Q-drop here, right? MSM, CIA, counter-ops will all fall down. Q. It does seem like bad bad writing there. Yeah, it does. It doesn't so, seem... Yeah. There's another one here that, that basically called out all of social media and all of mainstream media, yeah, including Fox News. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so. Social media platforms, top 10 shareholders of Facebook, top 10 shareholders of Twitter, top 10 shareholders of Reddit. Why is SA relevant? MSM. Controlling stakes in NBC, MSNBC. Controlling stakes in ABC. Ooh. Controlling stakes in CBN. He's so boring. <laughs> controlling stakes in CNN. Why can't you just list them all in a, in a row and stop repeating the beginning? Like, you think you're a hypnotist? Investor Z in Fox News. Why is this relevant? What is Operation Mockingbird? Active? Who is A. Cooper? What is A. Cooper's background? Why is this relevant? Snow White. Godfather 3. Speed. Q. Wait, is okay, speed like wait. the Q, the uh, yeah, Keanu speed. Reeves movie? No, the, this this person is definitely old. Like, there's no fucking way that a young person lists Snow White, Godfather Three, which is the worst of the Godfathers. Uh, that's canon and speed and speed with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. Also, why? Okay, this is the classic, uh, and what I love about it is that Q continues to write in the Jeopardy style. Um, he can he cannot just state something. He must make it into a question. Well, yeah, that's the yeah Socratic questioning. They they, they call it yes question exactly. Error. This is what people say. It's like oh, Q doesn't tell us what to believe. Q yeah. asks questions, gives us avenues of uh-huh. research. So when yeah. so when Q says controlling stakes in NBC, MSNBC, what Q is saying, research this, find out who owns yeah. this company, who owns them, who owns it, the and Jews. Guess, it's the Jews. I was gonna go for. It. I was like, yep, mm, that's the one. That's the thing that they it always kind of always ladders up. boils down subtly, right. very very bottom of the barrel. It's how Q people get people invested. They invest mm, time researching yeah. this stuff. They get sucked in. Yeah, and then they go, oof, boy, I, I I could I could go full full Q and a little bit further and hate Jews. I don't know. Yeah. All right, I've already gone this far. It's like when you join a fraternity and they yeah. hate and they haze you right at the end before you're about to be initiated to it. Yeah, they none, don't do none, it. none of us have joined a fraternity. You're the only person. Oh, um, well, I I also. It's like when you have to suck all of your frat brothers' penises one yeah, after they do the it other, like the man. Day before you get initiated, <laughs> so you're like, oh man, well, I spent all this time. This reminds me of the cum of all of my Phi Kappa Sig brothers. <laughs> What is this about Anderson Cooper and oh, the CIA? Yes. You, you know this. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so Travis actually looked this up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just wanted to say that, Jake? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but this is, uh, yes. So Anderson Cooper, they they all think is a CIA asset. Right. and Because apparently he spent two summers interning at the CIA while Ooh. working at Yale University, a well-known recruiting ground for the CIA. Yeah, absolutely. And yep. 
He majored in political science, but with no formal journalistic education, he pursued a career in journalism. Very suspicious. It's almost like he was part of some sort of caste or class that gave him access to all of these different things with little to no effort. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, there's a, yeah, another cue drop is where this 4 a.m. talking points thing comes from. It comes from a uh, January 19th, 2018 cue drop. And uh, this is what it says. MSM is fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Propaganda. <laughs> talking points. Bracket 4 a.m. Dash private email addresses. I mean. Paid contractors. Judgment day. Cue. He just means that they're going to be up on the gallows, all of these false uh, MSM like actors. Dude, if you don't give me my Pokemon cards back, it's going to be judgment day for you. (laughs) (laughs) To kind of illustrate sort of what QAnon people really feel about the Mockingbird media, I want to pull up this interview by uh, Evan McMorris Santoro of Vice News. And uh, in this interview, uh, Evan is interviewing Jen and Jamie Bureau of Florida, who were attendees of the uh, Tampa Trump rally on July 31st. And this is famously the, uh, the Trump rally that uh, really sort of put Q on the map on the mainstream media. Is, I mean, is this a fun thing to know about, a fun thing to be a part yes. of? Be- it's fun because things get revealed. It's fun because we know before it's going to happen a lot of times. So yes. think of it. When things are happening, we got a smirk on our face and go, Q told us. For instance, Q has told us at 4 a.m., media gets their talking points at 4 a.m. And that's how they start. So at 4 a.m., whatever the talking points is, then you look at all the media playing. And I don't know if you've seen that video with the media starts out with one and they all and they keep adding blocks. And before you know it, they're all saying the same thing. I mean, I want to see that video, though, where they're all saying the same thing. Hey, y'all, want me when we get to the bedroom with my wife, put on the video camera. She, she straps me to no, the bed. We put, on, we put on a cute T-shirts. We put on a cute T-shirts. Put on a cute t shirt We got smirks on our faces. We got smirks on our faces. We, we put some Eminem on. Her favorite. That's right. Not mine. She I like loves- Bruce Springsteen. My real takeaway from that from that uh, interview is that the, the the QAnon believer he really relishes in having sort of the secret knowledge, and also the um, he really really feels like he has something over the media. Right. That's it. Yeah. yeah he has a, a yeah, sense of superiority. I finally, secret. I've got. I see through you. You know. Instead of feeling like the world is rigged against you by people who are so smart that you can't really like keep up with them or even understand your own life. Okay, I um, I've I'm going to throw it all out. The entire media is wrong. I don't have to figure out who to listen to. It's all wrong. I'm just going to create an umbrella over it, like a flat earth dome, and I'm going to control it. And I get to smirk because I know that no matter what they say, I know the truth. Yeah, and it doesn't matter I what they say. I get to follow the right people on YouTubes. I finally can stop reacting to the media and how much shit is happening every day. It's overwhelming. I yeah. finally get to just say, I know the well, truth, and, I, and that it, it guides me through it. Especially when you like Donald Trump. You know, if you if you like Trump and you think he's doing an amazing job, like it must be so um, demoralizing uh, on, on, on a certain respect, you know, to turn on every news channel and be like, Mueller's closing in. And like, here's another yeah. thing, fucked up thing that he did, yeah. because I think that a lot of these people are, are decent people. And like mm-hmm. when they hear Donald Trump say something like grab him by the pussy or any variation of, of, of such thing, you know, they a little piece of them goes, oh, man, I know that's not good. So I think that, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, yeah. um, you, you know, a lot of that is being like, oh, 
oh, they're all wrong and it's all lies and it comes from the CIA? Oh, good, because I was worried that the guy that I champion for, like, is actually not a good person. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a better, it's a better, you know, it's like, I think that that's, that's, you know, it's as simple as that in a, in yeah. a lot of ways on this shit. They All right. Killing the messenger because they hate the message. But yeah. is it as simple as that? It actually might not be. What? And that's why we have forced Travis to look deeper and tell us now about the relationship between the CIA and the mainstream media. Yeah. So um, what's really interesting about this, this is one of those ones that uh, makes re- researching QAnon really, really rewarding because usually it's just like you know, nonsense bullshit, like uh, adrenochrome. Yeah. But there's a little germ of truth in, in everything, in this, right? Yeah. This well, is a bit yeah. like our adrenochrome well, it episode. Is, it is, yeah. So, so, so basically, um, so the CIA from its inception was really interested in cultivating close relationships with journalists for I knew it. propaganda efforts. <laughs> and it did a lot of propaganda abroad in like the 50s and the 60s. So um, here's a really inter- interesting passage from a 1995 book uh, called The Very Best Men, For Who Dared, The Early Years of the CIA by Evan Thomas. So this section is about Frank Weisner, who worked as a director of the CIA through the 50s. And Weisner was an interesting character. He called a various front organizations that he employed through the CIA a mighty Wurlitzer, uh, uh, which he used to play any propaganda tune that he wanted to be played. So this is the passage from the book. Weiser was specially obsessive about trying to control the news. Orchestrate was one of his favorite words. When Raymond Magsaysay was elected president of the Philippines in 1953, Weisner took credit for amassing the large number of Western journalists who publicized the event. He considered his friends, journalist Joe and Stuart Alsop, to be reliable purveyors of the company line in their columns. He would not hesitate to call Cyrus Salzberger. What are these names? They wait, can't wait. be real. Oh my God, he, he pops up later in my story. He would not hesitate to call Cyrus Salzberger the brother of the publisher of the New York Times. Oh boy. According to Tom Braden, a CIA official who worked closely with Weisner, quote, you'd be sitting there and he'd be on the phone to the New York Times Washington Bureau Chief Scotty Reston explaining why some sentence in the paper was entirely wrong. Quote, I want that to go to Salzburger, he'd say. Oh, Weisner kept wire services tickers across from the hall of his office. According to William Colby, one of the Weisner chief operatives in Rome, quote, a story would come over and he'd get on the phone, get something out, the mighty Wurlitzer. He was compulsive about answering everything. You could go crazy this way. So, I mean, uh, yes, this does sound um, a little intense, but you this could actually just be... What George Bush, for example, did uh, and his government did with um, some of the information that was coming in about uh, the surveillance, uh, which is that they entered into a two-year negotiation with the New York Times about like how, when they should or shouldn't print it. I mean, this doesn't seem totally new to me. I think he's like, of course, he's a, a vain man and he thinks he's awesome. So he's like, yes, I can call up whoever. And like, of course, he has leverage over people. He has information to share so he can really make those things work for him. But it doesn't read to me like we've infiltrated everything. It's more like, I like that guy Salzberger. He's always kind of towing the line for me. Yeah, and maybe like, I'm paying some shit for him. Yeah, he's like, good for us. I, you know, a little quid pro quo. I gave him some of this. Yeah. He gives me some well, of that. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's never like top down control. It's at, it's, at, it's at worst, you know, maybe, you know, the, they're sort of uh, inf- having, having some influence talking to people in the mainstream media and uh, maybe, you know, 
So it's not great, but you know, tell, a, it's tell an abuse us of power. Tell us more. Here. Well, so so yeah, this isn't great. So in fact, it sounds like an abuse of power, and um, <laughs> and um, so. So this, but fortunately, this is why we have congressional oversight. You know, the CIA, FBI, the Gallup Control. I've got bad news for we've you, got, <laughs> We can count on Krog, Congress, you'd think, to keep them in line. Of course. That's very bad news. Well, so, so in 1975, there was a Senate committee to investigate abuses by the CIA, including the CIA's alleged media manipulation efforts domestically and abroad. It was called uh, the Church Committee after Idaho Senator Frank Church. And it was officially called the United States Senate Select Committee to study governmental operations with respect to intelligence activities. <laughs> ah, economical writers. Right. So, um, so here's an interesting old clip about uh, Sen- Senator Church talking about his concerns about the CIA using uh, foreign planted stories in order to mip- manipulate uh, domestic opinion here in the United States. I thought that it was a matter of real concern that planted stories intended to serve a national purpose abroad um, came home and were circulated here and believed here because uh, this would mean that the CIA could manipulate the news in the United States by channeling it through some foreign country. And we're looking at that very carefully. So hmm. yeah, yeah. So he, he's worried. Thickens. That, yeah. So yeah. he's worried that. So it's okay, even if they aren't manipulating, uh, uh, you know, news agencies directly here in the United States, they do some propaganda efforts in foreign countries, and of course, they, they can't contain those stories, and then they sort of make their way to United States publications. Yeah, I've seen stuff like that that was very suspicious. For example, uh, around the coverage of Venezuela. You'd have like a blog that it was unclear who founded it and it was a constantly pro-US like slant on things. And then it would be quoted in like every major American newspaper. They use it as the sole source. Uh, And it was like one or two images. Like it's just you, you see when when the. I mean, any good journalist should be able to recognize that if if there's a bottleneck of information, you have to examine who controls the bottleneck. If there's some guy who's he's the main blog coming out of Venezuela where you find out what's happening. I mean, that's that's a problem. Yeah. Um, now, who knows if it's the CIA, it could be the FBI, it could be a, uh, it could be other foreign agents, Anybody. could be anything, really. I mean, there's a lot of different players on the geopolitical stage, but but uh, it doesn't surprise me to, no. that the CIA would have as I mean, the CIA definitely does have uh, a PR branch and, you know, they do active work. So for sure. I want to know who makes their like Discord channel right. emojis. So um, I, I want to share share one more clip, and this is from uh, uh, from 1975, and it's from the uh, Congressman Pike who in the, in the House, which is also investigating the CIA. And um, it, the, the the clip is Congressman Pike asking questions about the CIA's involvement in the news media to then CIA Director William Colby. Do you have any people being paid by? the CIA, who are contributing to a major circulation American journal. We do have people who submit pieces to other to American journals. Do you have any people paid by the CIA who are working for television networks? This, I think, gets into the kind of uh, getting into the details, Mr. Chairman, that I'd like to get into in an executive session. 
Ooh, right. Oh my yeah. god! I would, uh, I would, I would like to uh, have uh, the doors uh, closed, and uh, <laughs> could you cloak everyone present? <laughs> <laughs> so, Congress was on it, and um, so the Congress take the CIA to task and ensure that these abuses stopped and they uh, shed light of them. No, not yes, really. Yes, no. Well, oh, no. For, oh, damn it. This yeah. time I actually believe. Okay. Uh, no, damn it. No. So one thing I do want to talk about is like, uh, so there's this really fascinating article by Carl Bergstein published in 1977 in Rolling Stone. And um, it is 25,000 words, this article. It is a, se- a real 70s feature article. Love it. And, um, and uh, here's a really relevant section about the, uh, the church committee. During the 1976 investigation of the CIA by the Senate Intelligence Committee, chaired by Senator Frank Church, the dimensions of the agency's involvement with the press became apparent to several members of the panel, as well as two or three investigators on that staff. But top officials of the CIA, including former directors William Colby and George Bush, RIP, friend of the show, <laughs> persuaded the committee to restrict its inquiry into the matter and to deliberately misrepresent uh, and to deliberately misrepresent the actual scope of the activities in its final report. The deliberately uh, the multi-volume report contains nine pages in which the use of journalists is discussed in deliberately vague and sometimes misleading <laughs> terms. It makes no mention of the actual number of journalists who undertook covert tasks for the CIA, nor does it adequately describe the role played by newspaper and broadcast executives in cooperating with the agency. Dang. Dang. Rolling Stone used to have great-ass articles. I mean, Matt, Matt, Matt Taibbi still exists, but, you know, there was an era, man. It was like Hunter S. Thompson yeah. and like yeah. this guy writing shit like this. So, yeah, in the 50s and 60s, yeah, they, they did some, some shady stuff, and Congress did a shitty job uh, holding CIA to task. Yeah. And uh, we, we can't go into everything, but uh, if you want to learn more about the CIA's propaganda efforts during these 50s and 60s, I would recommend the 2009 book, The Mighty Wurlitzer, How the CIA Played America by Hugh Wilford. Nice. Um, so it discusses the CIA's relationship with various front organizations. Very, very fascinating. All right. So for this last part, uh, I wanted to jump into a conspiracy theory that is obviously adjacent uh, to uh, the one we just explored, but um, oh boy. is just maybe a little more ancient. The Jewish control of the media. So there's an overlap uh, between uh, people who believe that Jews control the media and people who believe the CIA control the media because, um, as you heard in Q's post, he's trying to kind of point to both and connect uh, Mockingbird, uh, Operation Mockingbird, uh, with the uh, the Jewish uh, question, as they say in, in the white supremacist community, but but where does where does that rumor come from? Well, of course, uh, we explored on previous podcasts how uh, blood libel and some of these kind of more ancient beliefs uh, led to it. But the first big anti-Semitic conspiracy theory of the modern age was sparked by a pamphlet called "The Protocols of the Elders of Zion." It arrived in the States in 1920 under the name The Protocols and World Revolution and was published by Maynard and Company, yes, we are naming and shaming you, which is a Boston publisher. Another newspaper in Michigan, the Dearborn Independent, which was owned by Henry Ford of, you know, Ford Vehicles, etc., published a series that was partially based on the protocols and quoted them extensively. The series was called, quote, The International Jew. Uh, Fantastic title. So obviously, uh, Henry Ford was accused of anti-Semitism for putting together the lovely series entitled The International Jew. And a conference of Jewish organizations uh, expressed their distaste at the time, adding that the protocols were a, quote, base forgery and a recrudescence of medieval bigotry and stupidity. 
the Times covered the series and the protocols negatively, but in a very Trumpian turning of the tables, they were very quickly accused of being part of the conspiracy. This was because a guy <laughs> called Cyrus L. Salzberger, which, oh my we, God, there which we is. covered earlier as a CIA kind of a uh, guy, was one of the people who had organized the aforementioned Conference of Jewish Organizations. And he also happened to have a daughter married to the son of Adolf S. Oaks, who in turn was the publisher of the Times. But was it a conspiracy then to, you know, say the protocols were bullshit when they weren't? Well, no. The protocols of the elders of Zion is total bullshit. And here is why. Nine months after the Henry Ford debacle, a uh, reminder, he, he published uh, a series um, that, that really heavily kind of relied on the protocols and also quoted them. Um, but about nine months after that, a guy called Philip Graves, who was a correspondent for the Times of London, put the matter to bed for good. He dug up an 1864 satirical piece by a French guy called Maurice Joly. In it, Machiavelli and Montesquieu have an imaginary conversation criticizing Napoleon III through religious imagery. Doesn't sound much like protocols, right? At the time, the satire pissed off Napoleon III, and he sent Joly to jail, which is a shame for reasons we will be getting into now. If Jolie had not been rotting away in jail, he might have been able to do something four years later when the structure of his piece was plagiarized by a proto-fascist spy working for the Prussian secret police, a guy called Heron Goitsch. Uh, Mr. Goitsch did not like Jewish people at all. He wrote a series of novels, a chapter of which was ripped from the Jolie satire and turned into an anti-Semitic story he dubbed The Jewish Cemetery in Prague and the Council of Representatives of the Twelve Tribes of Israel. Goch was basically an anti-Semitic Dan Brown, and the story <laughs> depicts a secret centennial gathering of rabbis who meet when the clock strikes midnight and make evil plans for the next hundred years. Oh my god, that's just like my script. Fuck! In the story, their god is a golden calf, which refers to a biblical tale about the Israelites creating a false icon while Moses cruised up Mount Sinai. The incident is known as, quote, the sin of the calf. I don't think it's unrealistic to predict that in 2019, the Wachowski sisters will become red-pilled and kick off production <laughs> on a movie adaptation of this story, casting Tom Hanks as all of the old rabbis. It's going to be an anti-Semitic version of the clumps, and it's going to rule. <laughs> Unfortunately, Goch's shitty chapter was a huge hit with other awful people, and in 1872, it was pulled from, a Go from Goch's novel and translated into Russian, eventually being renamed Protocols of the Elders of Zion. In 1905, the protocols were formally made public in Russia after the end of the Russo-Japanese War. They were used by a group of reactionaries called Union of the Russian Nation, who blamed the Jews for the revolution that occurred in 1905 and the formation of a Russian legislative assembly. This led to what the Russians call pogroms, or violence against Jewish people, usually encouraged or carried out by the state. In 1905 and 1906, uh, pogroms resulted in over 330 Jewish people being murdered. That is why my family lives in the United States. My grandfather was escaping the pogroms. That's the, there the only reason I'm here. Well, thank the protocols, baby. In 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution saw the asshole Tsar deposed, but some people weren't fans of the revolution. The, quote, White Army was a broadly monarchist and nationalist force formed in the aftermath of the revolution to fight against the Bolsheviks. Of course, the White Ar Army also enjoyed their pogroms, especially this one psychopathic general called Anton Denikin, who carried out many of them. Oh, and it's estimated that between 50,000 and 60,000 Jewish people were killed fighting in the Ro Russian Bolshevik Red Army during their civil war against the white forces, which shows they laid their lives on the line against the reactionaries of that period. Pretty cool. 
But because red pilling is real, the Red Army also carried out some pogroms, despite the fact that Leon Trotsky directly ordered them not to attack Jewish populations and that the Bolsheviks organized lectures and meetings against anti-Semitism in factories across Russia. The Jewish Week newspaper ran an editorial about their efforts at the time. Here's a quote. It must be said, and we must give them their dues, the Soviets have carried out an energetic struggle against pogroms. In many places, it has only been thanks to their strength that peace has been restored. But it was difficult to fight against the anti-Semitism that had been festering in Russia, especially among the working class, who had been told for decades before the revolution that the Jews were to blame for oppressive conditions created by the Tsar and his bougie buddies. <laughs> During the Bolshevik Revolution, as this working class rose up against their oppressors, their struggles sometimes turned into violence against Jewish populations. After the revolution, a Jewish Red Army veteran called Mensevik Vasily Ilvov Rogachevsky said the real, quote, tragedy was that the dark masses were unable to distinguish the provocateur from the revolutionary or the Jewish pogrom from a social revolution. So before I move on, I do have to thank Brendan McGeever from Jacobin for his great article entitled The Bolsheviks and Anti-Semitism. It helped me get a handle on this stuff. Let's get back on track. Uh, the protocols of the elders of Zion, a.k.a. the diarrhea expelled by an anti-Semitic human centipede, reached the United States of America in 1920, as I mentioned earlier. It was debunked nine months later by a British journalist who demonstrated that it had been plagiarized from a French satire of Napoleon III, so that it couldn't possibly be, you know, some sort of actual protocol written by any kind of Jewish person. It was, in fact, a kind of proto-fascist Prussian spy who started it and then it got fucking fed through a bunch of random shit. Like a shitty game of telephone. You know, it stayed sticky, uh, and then it uh, became what we have now, or <laughs> what we got uh, in the 20s in got. America. So, did it go away? Did it? No. Oh. <laughs> Henry Ford, if you remember, actually didn't take back the article he published validating it until 1927. Later, American and international business interests collaborated with the Nazis before, during, and after World War II. Here are a couple of examples. IBM openly provided the Nazi party with punch cards and a card sorting system that allowed them to identify people for extermination, as well as coordinate the trains bringing people to concentration camps. They even continued secretly smuggling equipment to the Nazis after America joined the war in 1941. In 1936, the Nazi party, which was super on board with Coca-Cola until then, began severely limiting import from foreign nations. This messed with Coke's money, so Max Keith, the head of Coke in Germany at the time, contacted Hermann Göring, Hitler's number two, through a back channel. Göring subsequently allowed the importation of the Coca-Cola syrup to resume. Phew, the Nazis were going to get to keep tasting the feeling. Unfortunately, soon after, a German executive at a rival drink company found a Coke bottle with Hebrew writing on the cap and claimed Coke was being run by a Jew. Classic. As any good corporation would, Coca-Cola then aggressively marketed themselves as pro-Nazi, with a focus on reaching members of the Hitler Youth. When America joined the war, all ties were cut between Max Keith's German branch of Coca-Cola and the American mothership. I as, can't believe this. You're destroying my favorite drink of all time. As Germany's stock of Coke dwindled during the war, Max Keith made sure the precious remaining Cokes were delivered to Nazi soldiers exclusively. When the war was over, the U.S. military ousted Max Keith for being a Nazi collaborator. But don't worry, listener. He was reinstated soon after by the American Coca-Cola Company. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's Woo. one thing that me oh. and Nazis have in common. We love Coca-Cola. One of a, a great fact that that uh, t- uh, ties into this: when the Coke was dwindling, Max knew that he wasn't going to keep receiving syrup, and he was like, "Shit, uh, we need to come up with something else." And Max invented a new syrup with the shit they could find locally, and that is how Fanta was created. <laughs> You're kidding Whoa. me. Fanta is a literally created by Nazis because they could no longer have access to the Coke syrup stuff. And uh, and then it was, you know, sucked back into the main... Uh, well, that's fucking easy. I'll never drink a Fanta ever again. Uh, yeah, well, might as well go and do the Coca-Cola too. <laughs> no, 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 no. Shut up. Don't you dare talk bad about Coca-Cola ever no. again on this show. I was just saying Orangina is better than Fanta. No, no, no. Oh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay. I've got some Orangina in the fridge right now. And, um, okay, well, here's some some other quick hits, Okay. Hugo Boss, what's up? You profited from Jewish slave labor. The Associated Press, how's it going, dude? Among others, you sold photographs of the Nazis for books called The Jews in the USA and The Subhuman. Kodak, you cut ties with your German subsidiary when the U.S. joined the war, but then secretly did business with the Nazis through neutral countries. What a bad bitch. Bayer, you're that pharmaceutical company who developed Zyklon B and used Jewish slave labor in the factories. I can't even feign ironic support here. This is monstrous, and I feel sick. Um... Okay, there's the Jews control the media story. We, we, we've been discussing this, but it has had some sort of arc in America from the end of World War II until today, um, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's unclear why, uh, why it took root again and why now it seems to be bubbling up to, to the forefront other than it seems, to be, it seems to come back when economic hardship comes around and there needs to be someone to blame. And right now, it seems like it's like, oh well, the Jews are controlling everything, and then the Mexicans are coming to like, you know, suck our marrow because you know they want to, you know, live in our in our great um, nanny state or whatever. There's all these different concepts um, of like where the money I'm not receiving is going. Right? Uh, do you think that's the story? Uh, like the slow deterioration of of. Uh, of the social safety net combined with, you know, just disparity of wealth? You know, I know when I was a kid, like, I definitely didn't go to school with a lot of Jewish kids, and I often felt like it was my place to be funny and uh, entertaining uh, just so there would draw attention from the fact that I was different, that I came, you know, from a different culture or, you know, different religion or whatever. All my friends, all my friends had big Christmas trees with lots of presents under them. Meanwhile, like, I would get, like, the chocolate coins on one night and, like, some socks and a shirt maybe on the second night. There was never, like, a Super Nintendo or, like, anything like that. I mean, it prob- I probably developed a little bit of, of self-hatred as a Jew during those years. Is, is this why the Jews waged the war on Christmas? I do feel like in the past, you know, uh, and this, this changes much to Jake's chagrin, but in the past... Jews were also considered like sexually uh, adventurous people that could come and you know steal your loved one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were considered this this force to be reckoned with, and now it doesn't seem like uh, the sexual Jew is is really a thing. Do you think we're gonna? No, the, what they do? You did, think they're gonna be a little comeback for that? They floated out the Jews have small penises uh, sort of conspiracy and floated that it out into the public better. for so long. Yeah, and it, it stuck. stuck, and so that's the mm, yeah. yeah. Pornhub is uh, a Hebrew word. <laughs> you're jacking off to some wholesome person with with birthing hips that is going to be your wife and then suddenly you 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 blink and it's a menorah and you're jacking off to a menorah and you and are the candles are burning your ruined or burning your taint 
<laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I think yeah. we learned a shitload. I hope you did too, listener. Uh, we have a couple of big announcements other than, um, you know, just continually celebrating the fact that uh, our man Travis is part of the podcast now, which gives me joy every day. Yeah, and that I'm slowly being pushed out, which gives me joy. Yeah. Wait a minute. We're trying to get... Right. Does it? <laughs> Two-man operation soon. We'll miss you, Jake. <laughs> Jake, he was too dumb to continue hosting. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but we want to just thank the community and also mention there is now a Discord, and we already have a lot of people in there. It's Yo, super it's fun. Lit. It's, it's, it's amazing. amazing. People are chatting and posting all kinds of insanity. I'm sure it will be uh, at the size where we'll have to moderate it soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have all kinds of uh, uh, of stuff. But yeah, go, go on to Twitter. Uh, that's at QAnon Anonymous, and you'll be able to uh, find a link to the discord otherwise just get in touch if you can't find it or whatever but um yeah you should find your way there if you like chatting and if you like um even maybe playing video games i think we have a little channel in there for that but um but mostly it's uh just for sharing your passion and also if you're a patreon subscriber you will have like a special little status when you go there so you know tell us if you don't yeah um, i will uh and i'll jump into the special uh patreon voice chat and uh sing various uh, michael blue blay uh, Christmas tune. <laughs> Disgusting. Uh, so, yeah, of course, thank you so much for tuning in for another week of QAnon Anonymous. We have a mailbag segment, which we still have not really kicked off because I don't think people have written in because maybe they might be confused about what to ask us. So yeah. what, what kind of stuff can people ask us? Um, you can the, ask what Jake ate today. Yeah, you can ask, like, what I ate today or, yeah. like, um, you know, like, am I happy? Um, yeah. but you, yeah. can't, you can't ask anything to Travis who would actually have a good researched answer, okay? No, just kidding. Uh, the mailbag is actually just the Ask Travis segment. You can uh, uh, write in, and, and he he likes to answer people, you know? He's he's a man who enjoys community, um, and he also is just kind of the, our dad, you yeah. know? In that he looks at us, he, he walked in, you know, he was like, hey, this is a cute podcast I'm a guest on. These people seem a little unhinged. Next four or five times recording... You got a little more comfortable with us. Now mm-hmm. we're friends. But, you know, um, there's always the sense that uh, that uh, we're being judged by him. Oh. <laughs> kind of silently. I, okay. Just yeah. silently from across the room. Uh, he's incredibly judgmental. I, 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 I'm a I'm, uh, uh, taciturn. It's a very masculine trait. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, uh, did you want to talk a little bit about what, uh, what's been going on that you recorded today? or? Oh, um. This is very exciting to me, but it, we don't have to talk about it oh, if you don't sure, want to. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, uh, what, what specifically are you talking about? The fact that you are going to be a talking head on oh. Al Jazeera. Oh, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes, T- yes. Today, He's I, so humble. He's so <laughs> humble. Like he, he forgot his accomplishment. Yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah I, I, I had <laughs> That a, he did today. <laughs> there's, a, there's a media program on uh, Al Jazeera. They're doing a segment yeah. about uh, conspiracy theories, Whoa. and uh, today I uh, filmed the segment as nice. a talking head in order to... Um, provide some material for that segment. Oh, that's so. so exciting. And do you know when it airs? I have no idea. So, um, but uh, I will definitely let you know yeah. whenever that airs. And we have attempted QAnon and we cannot, uh, QAnon Anonymous community, we, we have attempted and we can't promise you this, but we've attempted to actually get the name of this podcast yeah. somehow either written or said on Al Jazeera. Yeah. We'll shit, see. We'll shit see. posting our way. We're not sure. Fucking. We're not sure yet. I know. I've asked the producer if you could, if you can mention, it was like, oh, Travis, the podcast. Co- yeah, uh, co-host <laughs> of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. And he said, okay, but you know, so you, we'll see. You never know. 
know how these things happen. You know, because the lying MSM. Yeah. Right. Well, they're gonna look up. They're gonna <laughs> look up uh, the QAnon anonymous Twitter handle and be like, "Wait a minute, we, <laughs> yeah, don't, we don't want to get in bed with these degenerates." No, he's there. He's being interviewed for being a good debunker, so he doesn't. Well, they think hopefully they never listen to to this and, and hear good. Jake talk. I, yeah. I'm a little nervous yeah, about how I did because I was asked to describe like what was like eight like chan what it's like. Oh, and I was like, I was you're like, gonna I, get chewed up by the entire well, internet. I know, well, no, I was like, I can't do. I was like, well, you know, it's uh, like what, what the experience is like and being. Yeah. I, was, I was like, well, I was like, well, you know, there's lots of there's lots of uh, you know uh, arguing and anti-Semitism and porn and memes and uh, you know, <laughs> that's, I, yeah, I, that's, I, I tried, that's right, that's right. I tried to do it as best as I can. No, that's correct. That's also I, uh, Jake's subconscious. Right. It's like I, I wait I a just, minute. I just know the anons are gonna like take yeah. something I said and then like they're oh, gonna but, they're gonna be oh, me man. for you threads and threads. But you miserable. look you look worried. But in America, there's no bad press. Yeah, right, Travis. The more attention we you get. Point. Yeah, hating me only makes me stronger. Exactly. We don't run any advertising on our podcast. We are supported by our listeners. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous. If you pay $5 a month, you'll get access to our premium episodes and give the show a chance to grow and put out even more stuff. This month... I said it last time, but it's been so positive. We have constant people coming in. We had someone literally change their pledge to a higher one just to give us more money, which wow. bless you. Yeah. Bless Jeez, you. That's amazing. Um, our list has obviously gotten a lot longer, even just since last week. Holy and shit. And we can't thank you enough. We really, this is so important to us. Uh, right now, we are actually nearing our first goal, which would, uh, you know, kind of officially bind us to uh, record two premiums a month. Hopefully four Wait, premiums what? a month. Yeah, if there's an even bigger goal, which is the one after that. But anyways, please go to patreon.com slash anonymous and join us for just literally the cost of a, of a beer a month. Thank you to our current supporters. I'll thank everybody in the Q voice. Aaron T. Andrew F. Bully Whiff. Carson. Carson B. Terrible choice. Chris M. Danny C. Eric O. He's gonna fuck up Harry, his whole voice. Harry D. Jerry. Well, wait, wait a fucking second. Oh my god! I just had a long conversation with this guy, and I was like, "Would you rather be called HDX, which he signed up with, or Harry D?" And now I have suspect you just got rolled. Oh, I have shit. suspect that Harry, if your name is really Harry D, and that's very possible because in England things like that happen all the time. But uh, but if if not, then dude, that was amazing. Man, that was a great own. Epic. Uh, Jared M. John F, John S, Jonathan S, Josh R, Josh W. <laughs> we have so many J's like us. Jos Josiah D, Kaya B, Kelsey, Linda R, Luke B. This is a one-man voice. This is Samuel no longer cute. C, Sierra H, <laughs> Tim G, Villa K, and... The Shit Post Podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Jake, for <laughs> ruining your voice. <sighs> if you cannot support us financially, you can always help uh, help us by telling friends, uh, posting about us on social media and message boards, or you can go straight over to iTunes, which you should do anyways, and give us a five-star rating. Uh, the same thing you give all your rideshare drivers if you haven't been assaulted. Jake, thank you for participating in an interpretive dance representing my birth. I thought you were fantastic as the labia menorah. Can I stop now? Uh, no, you have to keep that position. Oh. Travis, your beard makes Jack from Twitter Jack on Twitter. Thank you. Okay. 
<laughs> Until he sees nose ring. <laughs> oh, hells yeah. Dude, that's the thing with Travis. Like, the first day he came, I was like, this guy's, you know, he dresses pretty normally. Second time, he had a couple more piercings. Now he has face tattoos like Takeshi 6ix9ine, but they're just like, where we go one, we go all. He's got, <laughs> he's got the whole, he's got JFK's Liberty Bell bow yeah. tattooed on his he's back. He's got Vincent Fusca, like, hanging off one of his eyebrows, like, in a kind of... <laughs> he, has, he has all of the court documents from the Vince Foster trial, like, tattooed on both of his thighs. And on his back, he's got uh, the 60 thousand indictments listed one by one in needlepoint. I have them memorized. <laughs> uh, listener, until next week. May the deep dish bless you and keep you and have a happy Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>